From Hamilton Place Strategies in Washington, D.C., this is the HPS Insights Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of HPS Insights. I'm your host, Brian DeAngelis, a partner here at Hamilton Place Strategies. And I am really excited today to have one of my uh, really dearest friends in in Washington, uh, now in Delaware, which she will be quick to remind me of. Join us today for the podcast, uh, Emily David, who uh, works for Governor John Carney up in Delaware as the Director of Engagement and Special Projects. Emily, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Brian. It's good to be virtually in DC with you today. It's great to have you back. Um, Emily, we were talking a couple of weeks ago and we had the idea for this this podcast. And just, I hope my listeners agree that it, it'll be as interesting as uh, I know it's going to be. But we do a lot of work here at HPS, especially over the last two years, advising our clients around how to communicate through the challenges that COVID-19 has, has presented both externally and internally to their perhaps most important audience, their employees, um, how to navigate the the politically tricky issues around vaccines and mask mandates. And we can be very focused on that from a corporate perspective. And sitting here in Washington, we are surrounded by the federal government's response and the work that Congress and others have been doing. But a lot of that work uh, has been happening at the state level. And a lot of the decision making, uh, I would even say the pressure of the last couple of years has fallen on the shoulders of of governors and and mayors and other state and local elected officials. So I'm being a long winded here, but I was really excited to have you on the show to to talk about that perspective and the work you've been doing and your team has been doing over the last couple of years. So um, why don't we start there? Talk us through what what you all have been doing. And and I know it's probably a crazy, uh, overly broad question, but how have you been approaching COVID and the challenges that you've seen at the state level? Yeah, well, um, I mean, I think it it's broad, but it's just because time has been so fast and slow over the past two years. Um, we're coming up on March 11th, which is actually the day we saw the first COVID case here in Delaware. So that's exactly almost two years ago. Um, we started to navigate this communications challenge that every other person in the country was trying to navigate at the same time. Um, and, and honestly, sometimes trying to wrap our arms around it as it was all being sorted out. I have heard the phrase building the plane as you fly it uh, more than 10,000 times. <laughs> yeah, I never thought I would hear it, though, as often as um, as I have been. So to answer your question, my role as director of engagement, I'm part of the communications team in Governor Carney's office. But one of my main tasks is to liaise with all the public information officers across the state so that would be your your PIO for the Department of Agriculture, the mm-hmm. Department of Transit, um, but then also obviously the Department of Health and uh, the Department of Public Health specifically. And so it uh, this uh, virus obviously had uh, no borders. It, it didn't necessarily uh, stick in in 
in the workflow of one agency. We had to work very closely together with all agencies to get our message out there. Um, But as your clients probably feel too, um, you're right that a lot of the decision-making landed in our office uh, for the state, whether it was um, testing, vaccination, or masking, um, but also a lot of it was out of our hands uh, in the federal government and CDC making decisions um, that we would follow as well. So even when we thought we had a handle on what was going on, sometimes something would pop up and we'd have to shift our messaging incredibly quickly. So I guess the the number one lesson I found throughout the pandemic was just to be incredibly nimble uh, right. with, with your messaging and then... Um, very honest with the Delaware public that the message we're saying today is accurate today. Um, But we have to all understand that just like this virus is changing, it's getting new variants. um, So is our messaging. Uh, So we ran a large public awareness campaign. And I know I I am a number one fan of Delaware. uh, So I will mention a lot of specifics here about Delaware, but I know many other states have have done the same as well. Um, and I imagine our large uh, public awareness campaign was much smaller than, than other states. Um, sure. But, you know, the public awareness campaign used tactics, a very traditional public relations tactics like uh, billboards on I-95 or radio ads. Um, but then as the virus continued to spread and as it was spreading differently, we realized that we had to get our message into new places too. Um, it, as we saw the virus was affecting different age groups differently, we had to get our message into different places. And what I have actually found maybe most interesting on the communication side of this is about how to distribute the vaccines. Um, In Delaware, for a very long time, only about 50% of those 18 to 34 year olds were getting the vaccine. And we know uh, 18 to 34 year olds, as much as we wish they were, uh, they were tuned into our local news services and and members and subscribers of the Delaware News Journal, that unfortunately, a lot of them aren't. And so uh, just a couple months ago, we did our first state of Delaware TikTok um, and and trying new things there. So it's a broad answer for for your maybe broad question, but we tried to be everywhere we could. And even in our small state, that was really hard. And then obviously with the changing messaging, both led by us, but then also kind of given to us uh, by by the CDC and others, uh, we just had to remain extremely flexible. Talk to me in, in that respect with the, the changing messaging and even the, the new platforms, that was also a... Um, ripe environment for for misinformation, right? And I imagine part of the reason you had to go to TikTok is not just the age demographics, but how much of a calculation was it knowing there might be a lot of information out there on some misinformation out there on some of these platforms and you've got to counter it? Yeah, I mean, we call Delaware a state of neighbors. Um, Governor, former Governor Markell uh, dubbed that. And it's totally true. And that can work to our benefit in thousands of ways. But it can also really be difficult when you're trying to message something. And the state of neighbors is uh, is creating a rumor mill 
that is uh, a little bit different than what we were hoping they were going to say. Um, and, you know, we know historically, right, that especially in times of political uncertainty uh, and all of the no matter what party you're on, you can agree that there there were a lot of there's a lot of division uh, right now. And so at times of political uncertainty, we found that Delawareans were more likely to listen to their friends and their neighbors and their pastors and their hairdressers than they were. No offense to my boss. He would say the same thing than the governor. Right. Um, and so the misinformation piece was really challenging because governor could go out on a press conference and say, hey, we heard that someone in Laurel thinks this and someone in Newcastle thinks this. And we just wanted to tell you, like, that's not right. Here's the data. Here's the facts. Well, there are people out there, um, as you can probably imagine, who would say, yeah, that's not true. (laughs) What he just said is, you know, he's just, you know, feeding the message from somebody else. And so we decided in order to attack that misinformation, which, of course, we're never going to get around all of it. It's truly impossible. Um, The volume is incredible. Uh, We decided to send out messengers that we knew were trusted in the community to share messages about the vaccine, about testing, about masking, whatever the issue of the day was. Um, we, we updated almost weekly these messengers so that they knew the latest on COVID. We sent them with, with printed materials. We sent them with virtual materials. Uh, we had advocates text out on the WhatsApp groups of their community. We mm-hmm. had, you know, uh, pastors stand up at church and say, hey, this is the latest on COVID. And that was really how we could get some of those questions answered. But I think another key piece to misinformation that I've learned is to not look at the misinformation with like an immediate negative bent. Um, The reason people are sharing this information is because they trust the source. And if we take, if we push back on them immediately saying, "Uh uh-uh, that's not true, they're not going to trust us because we're tearing down a source they trust. Right. Um, and so, you know, the oh, potentially a uh, second overutilized phrase in com- communications is to meet people where they are. Um, we really tried to do that and meet people with compassion when talking about things that are tough, like vaccines and and things that are personal. Um, and, you know, that is being said, that's the same thing we felt with misinformation is like, if you're sharing it, you believe it. So we're not going to like tear you down for that. It also looks like uh, from from our vantage point, a lot of the especially northeast governors, but I'm sure the same is true of, of the other regions of the country, kind of locked arms or at least stayed very closely coordinated on on their response. And in particular, over the last few weeks, where I think now almost the whole country has decided we're moving into the endemic, not the, the out of the pandemic. And but it was really Delaware, New Jersey, New York, if I'm correct, kind of leading the way on a lot of that. T- tell us how you worked with other states and how you coordinated with those folks. Yeah, well, I know we've talked about this before, but this virus really didn't know any borders. Um, and when we saw the first cases in New York, we would we knew it was only hours away that we would be getting some of those right. New York travelers in our state. Um, even more so with New Jersey and Pennsylvania and Maryland, because many of the folks who work in Delaware live there or vice versa, and they commute in. So 
it was critical from the first minute we saw a case in Delaware to work closely with those states to see what the case rates were like um, there. And, and also just to the last point on misinformation, what rumors they were hearing there, because the rumors you're hearing in Pennsylvania, even if it's in Pittsburgh in the Western part of the state, uh, they're going to find their way to Delaware. And we need to, we need to make sure that we're ready for that. And then the same is true with us feeding information back to them. So we were really lucky that a couple groups came together and pulled um, pulled together multiple multi-state calls where we would have the opportunity. Of course, we had one-off communications with our closest neighbors, but we even had the opportunity to work closely with Connecticut and Massachusetts and others Um and Rhode Island, the other small, amazing state in our in our country to hear what tactics were working for them um, and and try to like experiment with some of these tactics. When we realize this isn't just a month long communications plan, we're going to need years long communications plans. Um, Rhode Island, I know, has done very similar things, for example, uh, to what I was just talking about with like getting pastors and other community advocates out sharing the message and um, we even swapped stories with Rhode Island about Delaware is so small that we ended up doing door knocking a lot. Um, it's an advantage to being small. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and we can talk about, you know, some of the disadvantages to being small, too. But huge advantage that we literally know, you know, with through the CDC data, we know exactly what neighborhoods, um, you know, aren't necessarily going out to get vaccinated and where the highest uh the highest rates of cases are in our neighborhoods. So we mm-hmm. would deploy people to knock on their doors and, and then we'd send a, a vaccine van there and, and say, Hey, just down the street, they're there to answer your questions. They're here to get you vaccinated. Um, and why that connects to your question about what other States are doing. We shared that story with uh, Rhode Island and, they were like, that's a great idea. And, and because they're small in stature and, and their community is very close, they were able to do very similar things. And we've gotten ideas um, from all of them about how we should communicate about this, because I'm sure your clients had to navigate this too, is like these large questions about how do I handle this? Do I lead my messaging with empathy? Do I be blunt and kind of alarmist about something? Or is it now the opportunity to be funny about COVID? Like, how do I get people to stay engaged with this topic? And it was just very helpful to bounce those ideas off of other states who I knew were just as, you know, weighed down with the tasks of getting people vaccinated and tested and all that. But, you know, trying to think through some of those creative ways to get people to to think about COVID. Um, With the decision to you know, end mask mandates. And uh, like I said before, presumably kind of move back to a quote unquote normal life. What what are you guys as as a comms team, especially still being vigilant on watching out for? Yeah, I think, I mean, my number one goal is just to tell people that it's not over. Um, That, you know, there were certain flashpoints throughout the pandemic where we felt like we needed to remind people to do the things we know that work so you could get back to doing the things you love doing. 
Right. Um, right. So that would be like, you know, they always say like, um, oh, this is, I'm just really throwing out all the cliche phrases here, but the, the tools in the toolbox, right? Like, you know, that masking works, you know, that, or especially when you are around someone who's vulnerable, you know, that getting tested works and now it's easily accessible. Um, hat tip to president Biden for getting me my tests in the mail. That was pretty cool. Um, and you know, that the number one thing that I keep on saying to people is like, stay home. If you're sick, this shouldn't just be a COVID thing. I mean, we have stories long, like when you try like to go into the office when you're having an allergy attack, like I felt it's probably still not a great thing. So um, my message moving forward is like lean on those things. We know that work, work, but also be comfortable with your own level of risk. If you want to keep wearing your mask, great. If you don't, great. But if there are other people that feel comfortable wearing their masks, that's okay. Um, And if you're planning to go see your grandfather, my grandfather's 95 years old, I sure will be wearing a mask around other people. I probably will also get tested before I go over there just to be sure. That might be some lingering anxiety too, but who knows? Um, But yeah, it's just, I think our overall goal is to tell people like rely on the things that work, but get back to those things you love doing because we obviously know there's a huge mental health component to this too. We can't, like it's been two years of the governor of Dr. Rite, who's our director of uh, the division of public health, telling people, you know, what they think is best. Um, but now we know that we know what's best and, and right. people should feel empowered to do that. So that's sort of our message moving forward. Granted, it's getting better, but there are it's a lower percentage of uh, ages five to 11 getting vaccinated. And then obviously, if and when we, we get the, the littlest little ones, um, the ability to get vaccinated, we'll, we'll have specific targeted campaigns to those messages too. But um, I don't think you'll be seeing like big billboards, uh, knock on wood. I don't think you'll be seeing big billboards right. about COVID in the state of Delaware anytime soon. Yeah, but it is, you're, you're right. There's a, there's a strong desire to return to normal, but there needs to be a recognition that it is a new normal. And I, I'm, DC has been a ghost town for a couple of years. I mean, it's, it's sad. I mean, seeing some, some great, lunch places and restaurants and other stuff closed, but, but it's starting to return. But for the most part, from what I've seen, folks are returning very, very smartly with testing requirements or the vaccine requirements. I'm talking about some of the bigger parties and receptions that happen in Washington. So this new normal is here to stay. Yeah. And I, uh, I don't know it off the top of my head, but I was shared recently the uh, state of California launched a what they call a safer mission and each letter uh, stands for something else. It's basically it's the same thing. I was just saying the tools in the toolbox, but they're naming it be safer, smarter. That's what it was smarter. Um, So, you know, it is good just to remind yourself every so often what works and, and to use that moving forward. But like I said, we're still trying to push the booster message and trying to push those who, who don't yet have their first dose to push them to, to really consider it. Um, But also understand that there are a lot of people holding out on vaccinations, even though we are in this new phase. And a lot of that is because of, of fears they bring with them or other things that, 
that are um, impeding on their decision. And again, we're trying to come at that with empathy. The one thing that I didn't say to you earlier that I definitely want to mention as like a lesson learned from this pandemic is that in addition for, for like all of the Delaware public hearing from their pastors and their hairdressers and everybody else and people they trust. Um, we just had such success when we featured real Delawareans on billboards right. and real Delawareans in the ads. Um, we had some really heart wrenching PSAs of people who lost family members due to COVID um, folks who, you know, just really emphasize the importance of wearing a mask at the time or the importance of getting tested. And then later on for getting vaccinated. And um, we had folks send in selfies with the billboards they were featured on and, and then they would share those on Facebook. And then all of a sudden our, our public awareness yeah, campaign has ended up on other platforms we didn't expect. Um, so I, that's just one thing. And I, it's probably it totally irrelevant. A, another question I wanted to ask was how much you all relied on Delaware celebrities, if you will, but, you know, tapping into whatever it may be that the basketball coaches, the famous chefs in the cities and business leaders. Did you guys focus on that a lot or? So that's a, I mean, it is a, it's a really good tactic and it totally worked for states like New York um, who, who definitely have some of, and California who have some of the Huge You're stars. not going to tell me Delaware doesn't have famous people, are you? Oh, I think you all know one famous Wilmingtonian who probably yeah. is just down the street from you right now. Um, we did reach out to many Delaware celebrities, especially this goes way back. Like this goes back to April 2020 when we were doing stay at home. Um, that's when we started to see a lot of other states doing celebrity outreach. Um, right. So we had celebrities like John Gallagher, who is um, famous on Broadway, and Elena Deldon, who is the best, if not, well, I can't say she's the GOAT because you're going to say that Tom Brady is the GOAT athlete. But I believe that he's, he's the GOAT football player. I would give her maybe GOAT basketball player. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so people like that, who, again, might not be household names to many folks outside of Delaware, except for I think Helena is definitely uh, rising in the ranks there. But um, they were extremely helpful um, in in getting the word out. And uh, Ryan Felipe, who is also another famous Delawarean, spent some of the pandemic uh, at, at in Dewey Beach, I believe is where he goes. Um, and he posted a few mask pictures, which we didn't ask him to do, but it was helpful. Um, so, so yeah, we did have like, we have a, you know, a little bit of smaller pool of celebrities, but it was, we were able to use them. We also, um, leaned on a whole different type of celebrity in, uh, in our college athletes and our, uh, college mascots in our minor league baseball team, um, in our local music, uh, music festivals, like all of the places where we knew people were going or, or at least watching, we tried to get there. So um, some of our mascots even had giant masks that like someone sewed for them (laughs) and put them on. So that was kind of fun, but um, you know, we, we also were lucky enough to be able to use other States content too, with some of the, the big name celebrities. Yeah. All right. Well, this this was helpful and uh, an enjoyable conversation, Emily. Uh, anything we didn't 
touch on that you should share with us? Um, I think we sort of touched on it, but the one thing that I really have learned through this process is, especially on, on really complicated and sometimes politically divisive topics is just to be as personal as possible, put out some, you know, putting out someone like the governor or the director of public health to talk about things that are constantly changing and, and very intimidating. I feel very, very fortunate to work under people that are, are truly just humans trying to do the best work they can. And that came off on screen like that. Um, So even if you disagreed with John Carney's politics, um, a lot of folks would come up to him in the Wawa when he was getting his coffee or, or, you know, when he was at a a high school basketball game, um, they would come up to him and just thank him for being real with the Delawareans. Um, And so I think that's just, I know I talked about empathy a lot in these remarks and and that's obviously a trait of, of our president and our most famous Delawarean. Um, But it really does make an impact. I've seen it make, make an impact in people starting to listen to you if they haven't before. Um, hundred percent. Yeah. So that would be my, my last plug. Great. Well, that's great. Well, thank you for coming on and uh, marking the two year anniversary and hopefully the, turnaround of this pandemic for us um wish you all the best of luck up there in in delaware as you keep uh keep going with the good fight but thank you and for all of your listeners delaware is much more than i-95's rest stop uh which is also dubbed the biden welcome center we have wonderful beaches and we have wonderful city life so if you ever need recommendations where to go you know who to reach out to i love it well we'll add that in the show notes as well No, thank you, Emily. And thank you to all our our listeners for tuning into another episode of HPS Insights. And we'll have more, more to come in the weeks ahead. Thank you for listening to the HPS Insights podcast produced by Hamilton Place Strategies. For the latest updates, follow us on Twitter at HPS Insights and follow us on the web at HamiltonPlaceStrategies.com.